Welcome to Fountain City Sports Media's first Kansas City Royals episode. We're all huge fans and we're really excited to bring you episodes throughout the season. It's been a roller coaster so far, but it's really wonderful that we're back to playing winning baseball, at least over the last four games. Today, we'll break down the roster, what we see in the early Matheny era and where we go from here. Uh, first, I want to say, though, that we're really recording this a day later than we should be because technically yesterday was the day off. Uh, we finished the Twin Series on Sunday. We're also the day off Monday, and then we play Cincinnati tonight at 540 Central. However, there was a giant tornado watch slash severe thunderstorm that rolled through central Iowa where I'm living uh, yesterday like 400,000 people lost power. So it came to our, you know, recording time of nine o'clock and I didn't really want to record this podcast without internet in the dark. Weak. That's how the pioneers used to Kyle, do it, man. If, if Kyle was, was really enthusiastic about this podcast, he would have done this podcast in candlelight. Yeah, man. Top three pioneer podcast names. Go. Little house on the prairie. Uh, Go Western Conference, and oh shoot! Oh, and you have died of dis and Jason Terry. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was looking for. Damn that's it, all Reese. we needed. That's absolutely perfect. Wow! If we wanted to uh, to give a shout out to the late Sam Shepard, we could go for uh, True Jerry West. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I feel like that might not work with our crowd, but we'll try. And and. Any theater fans out there, send us a line on Twitter or whatever. Gather around the old Chuck Barkley wagon. <laughs> we just lost all of our MLS fan base. <laughs> we we have been shut down by Apple Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher. Well, so what this illuminated to me yesterday as I was helping my parents prepare dinner on our Coleman stove in my little jet boil camping stove is that what did you make anybody with an sorry what did you make oh I uh went to the store and got some like camping like rice thing and beef jerky I didn't try very hard (laughs) wait how did you go to the store if the power was out well, the power was out intermittently. There were 400,000 Iowans without power, you know? Conspiracy! He just didn't want to do the podcast last night. He had steak and eggs. <laughs> yeah. He was just hungry for some rice aroni and freeze-dried ice cream. Uh, uh, beef jerky and rice? I mean, you asked. What would you make without power? PB&J? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I also got PB&J at the store. What did your uh, your uh, parents have? Did they all? Did you make everybody beef jerky and rice? Uh, no, they, they they like warmed up leftovers. Oh, okay. Leftover beef jerky and rice. I hate you guys. <laughs> no, uh, I don't currently have a charcoal grill. We used to, but right now all we have is like the electric stove in the house and an electric grill, which is useless in a power outage. Right. So I realized I I hate cooking with electric uh, electric either stove or grill or whatever, and so. It made me realize how happy I am that my new house has gas. Gas is gas is good. If you want to write a horror film, though, I mean, you could start with a haunted charcoal grill in the middle of a power outage storm. It could be the Stephen Kingsford grill. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so just a quick aside before we get rolling into today's topic of Royals. Uh, it's been kind of intermittent because, as we may or may not have noticed, sports have been kind of intermittent since forever. So our goal with this podcast, for those of you keeping track at home, 
we're shooting to do a Royals update episode every third or fourth series, depending on the number of games in each series. A Chiefs podcast once a week after they play their game. And a Sporting KC podcast once every two weeks. That'll keep us going on about, you know, one podcast a week. Of course, with crushable casts in between, like when Carlos Vela decides that he wants to leave LAFC and come tag team with Pulido to make the Wonder Twin Destroyers in our offense. So that's just kind of what the release schedule is going to be looking like once things get a little bit more back to normal. Hello, America. Hello, Netherlands, because we have one listener from the Netherlands. We don't know who you are. Hit us up on uh, Instagram. Anyway, this is Cold Shoulder Mondo coming at you. And just want to say that this is probably our last Royals podcast because the MLB is going to be canceled. Hot take Mondo. The MLB is not going to get canceled. They're like, they're not going to do that until like legitimately two thirds of the teams all have coronavirus. <laughs> when it's like just the like Astros. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Turns out the Astros gave everybody coronavirus. Well, guess we won. <laughs> just a trophy right guys no but actually in in all seriousness i mean if there is another outbreak like there was with the cardinals and with the with the marlins i actually think it might be canceled man they're so close to the postseason though and they want that postseason money that's just the thing though if this was like a two three month season i could see him canceling after like one more full team gets corona but it's like they're so embarrassed by the way that the negotiations happened before the season i just can't see him stopping now i mean i i I won't get political, but I'll just get scientific. It It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better, like, in the world. And because they're not in a bubble, then that's going to make it a lot worse for them because a lot of these people are going to be exposed to a lot of different people. We've seen the bubble work in the MLS and the NBA, and it doesn't seem like it's working in the MLB. So I feel like they're going to try to make it work, just like the NCAA tried to make it work in March. And then you're going to see like people cancel while play is, is happening, just like they did in the NCAA, just like they did in the NBA with the Thunder, that one game. What was it like? It was like Friday, Friday, the, uh, the 13th. It was like March the 13th when everything went down. I think that's going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, it, it just makes sense. It's just, it's just going to get worse. Armando, I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy because... I'm not sure we can directly compare it to the NCAA because at that point, nobody was really taking this seriously in America. At least the people who were trying to warn us about it were, but sort of the general populace and anybody in charge of a money-making enterprise were not really treating this as, as an issue that could shut down the economy. I think that now baseball and baseball players know what they have to do to keep healthy, and that's follow the guidelines that the rest of us as private citizens have to follow. Uh, And if they don't, like the Marlins weren't, then they get sick. And so I think the only way that this goes forward is if the teams are really strict and disciplined and keep themselves healthy. And then um, those that don't won't be healthy and kind of goes from there. Again, that, that gets a little bit into the morality of whether or not sports should be being played right now. You know, I think we're also going to see that play out over the next two months especially in baseball and and if nfl actually goes forward and we have another league without a bubble so in 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 theory that plan works but also it's proven not to work just like you said the marlins have gotten sick the cardinals have gotten sick so if everyone is tight and tries to stay healthy and stay proactive then you're right then the, the mlb will, will be okay but We've already seen that two teams haven't taken it seriously. And even if they do take it seriously, like the the rate of infection is just going to get worse. And even if like no matter how much you try, 
these teams aren't in self bubbles. They're they're not like the Royals aren't all staying in one hotel by themselves and then only being with themselves. Like they're still you know interacting with other people. I still think it, it can go wrong. Well, I don't think it's as bad as you seem to think it's going to be because the Royals all had a bunch of infection cases before the season started. That's before everyone started kind of quarantining. And, you know, they've come back and we haven't had an outbreak since. The reason the Marlins and the Cardinals had outbreaks was because, like, what, they went to a strip club and the other team, like, went to a casino? <laughs> I'm dead serious. And, like, it's it's all about self-isolation. And if they don't feel like there's any penalty for if they're like, oh, I'm just going to break self-isolation, no problem, then there's no, you know, there's no incentive for them not to do that. I think what the NFL will learn from MLB is they have to start, like, docking game checks it's like if we can prove that you went out and you came back with coronavirus and you know let's say we have to miss three games you ain't getting paid for those three games yeah no i totally agree with you i i hope that the that the nfl is going to take it that seriously i just don't think that that baseball teams are going to take it that seriously because we've already seen them not take it seriously so it literally just takes one just one case it just takes one case of someone slipping up in the next month or two um, to then screw it up for everybody. I want to give a bit of a tangential shout out to uh, an episode of NPR's Planet Money I listened to the other day um, that had to do with economic nudging and basically Stonks. how we get people to do things that may not be popular or in the case of masks and social distancing um, have been politicized to the point where people don't want to do what's in their best self-interest for a separate reason. And it's a great episode and they sort of dive deep into how you get folks to do something for the good of the community for a reason that's not attacking their character. And as a guy who admittedly, whenever I see people out in public not wearing a mask, partying, going to bars, all that, I'm pretty judgmental and I'm pretty harsh, as you guys know. And so it was it was kind of good for me to take a step back and think about what motivates us to do the right thing. Anyway, great episode. Take a listen. All right, so let's talk about the season so far. Uh, I got to say, it was not the best luck of the draw for us that we started the year playing who has who's turning out to be maybe the best pitcher in baseball, or one of them so far. Our first game was against Shane Bieber, and he looked incredible, and he has continued to look incredible. Again, we started the series, uh, we started the season playing the Cleveland Indians, and we took one game off of them. Really should have taken two, but early days, what we noticed was that the bats just weren't coming alive. Well, was it the bats not coming alive, or was it going back to like traditional Royals baseball, where one game the pitching allows like two runs and the offense can't score one, and then the next game the offense puts up six and the pitching allows like 13? Because that's really what it felt like for the first three, four series of the season. That was more in the Tigers series for sure, and I think some of that, to your point, may have been guys coming back from this strange, bizarre offseason. But it just, looking back, seems like a very important thing that we started off our first game playing a guy who's just turned out to be on fire from the mound. It's also just our luck that what we wanted this whole offseason was better pitching, and we got it, but then our bats just sucked. Like, we thought Mondesi was going to be, well, at least I thought Mondesi was going to be this, like, giant, but he's proven to be awful this year. I'm going to fight you on that. Mondesi's been great over the past 10 games, but he did have a really, really rough start to the season. So he's been Mondesi is what you're saying? Like, one one minute looks completely lost for a few games, and then the next minute he's playing, like, the second coming of, like, I don't know, Ken Griffey Jr.? <laughs> well, I think this is, a, this is a point where we could bring up the managerial style of Mike Matheny and how it's different from Yost and what we're going to see going forward. 
I was listening to his um, his pregame interview the other day, and he was making a point of the importance of being able to not get too high on the wins or too low on the losses, and the fact that ideally we just got to be able to bounce back and bring it the next game, no matter what happened the game before. And I think from that perspective, I mean, I'm with you guys. It was incredibly frustrating to see the errors build up, most particularly from Mondesi and Franco in the first 10, 12 games or so. And even during games when Franco offensively was doing incredible. And the thing is, I think we got an early window on the potential of this Royals offense when we shellacked the Tigers 14-6. That was amazing. And I'm guilty of recency bias with the Royals where whenever we have a good game, even when we've really struggled to score or had some pitching foibles or had some errors plague us that was especially true in the White Sox series later, whenever we have a good game, I'm like, okay, we're going to go 15-0 the rest of the season. We're good. I think it's it's helpful for a fan like me and I think probably helpful for the organization to have somebody like Matheny in charge who's going to systematically give guys their chance, keep putting guys in situations to perform well and yet require a lot of the team searching for the right group of guys that's going to take us into the next season and eventually make our way back to a championship. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that because that's the biggest difference between Matheny and Yost so far is that if Ned Yost believed in evolution, he'd be like, if I keep throwing a snake into the air, the snake will eventually fly. And if you give him like 50 million years, he's correct. A snake might eventually evolve and learn how to fly. Versus Matheny, who would throw maybe two snakes in the air and say, this isn't working. I'm going to try something with wings. And then that flies within five years. You know what I'm saying? I do. I love how implicit in this scenario is that Ned Yost does not believe in evolution. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is he does believe in evolution and he's correct in his methods, but he continues to try the same thing. Okay, let me let me give you a better example. He's like, I if, if I slam my head against this concrete wall, I will eventually crack the concrete. And if he does do that for, let's say, 50 years, yes, he'll eventually crack the concrete. Versus Matheny might hit it once, say, wow, this isn't a good idea. I'm going to try something else. So he comes back with a hammer and he cracks the concrete in one swing. This recasting of Royals managers is prehistoric, you know, like Stone Age men figuring out how to use fire is really, uh, really compelling to me. Well, exactly. And all I'm getting at is the fact that if you look back at Yost, particularly in how he used the bullpen, he would always keep trotting out guys in the same situation, being like, we just got to get them to get a feel for it. Or like, eventually they're going to do it. Case in point, Soria. It's like Soria allowed, what was it? 15 or 16 blown saves with a lead or tie in that 2016 season. Whereas if Matheny would have seen that after probably like four times, he'd be like, guess what? We're not going to send Soria in for like big save situations. We're going to try pitching somebody else. Whereas when that worked for Yost was when he trusted the process and then he wound up with a bullpen like he did in 14 or 15. And he has confirmation bias then saying, I just kept pitching these guys in these situations and it worked. And it worked because you had an insane bullpen for two years. Uh, Reese, that's a great point, and I'm glad you mentioned the bullpen. One common theme in these early series for me had to do with some bullpen performance that was really surprising and thrilling. For instance, Greg Holland looking great. Not necessarily the Greg Holland of old, but again, he's come back through a really long series of rehab from the surgery and his stint with Colorado and some time out of the league. And also Trevor Rosenthal looking like a legitimate 
great major league closer again, which is really nice. And actually some nice innings from Kennedy early. He struggled a little more in the most recent series, but I think in that first Indians, Tigers, White Sox, even with the errors and the sort of meltdowns of the White Sox series, we saw some positives from the bullpen. Going back to to Stamont, uh, I forgot what game he had this highlight, but it was a beautiful like pretzel curveball that's going to be great for us. And we already talked about Rosenthal, and also Scott Barlow has been amazing. He's played 10 innings, or he's played 10 games already, and he has a 1.80 ERA, which is pretty awesome. Brad Keller also hasn't allowed any runs in five innings. Kyle Zimmer's been great. So that's great that we have all that stuff going on. And I think that Ned Yost and Mike Matheny are different in the sense that Matheny is actually using our farm league really well where Yost took a really long time to use some of our farm like for example like Hunter Dozier like Hunter Dozier I like still think of as this like prospect but Hunter Dozier's like almost 30 now and we're like still seeing him as as that because Ned Yost just didn't use his prospects very well so it's good that Matheny's trying to switch all these people in I would love to see Asa Lacey come come in because now we have time we can go into predictions later but I think he should start using some of our prospect power instead of Kennedy, instead of Duffy, because like Singer and Bubich are awesome. And I think we should get these young guys in and start rolling. That's an interesting take. I I like that you bring up Stamont partially because I think he has some of the most interesting, one of the more interesting toolboxes of sort of the new faces this season. Uh, I also, in terms of the the middle relief guys, I want to mention Zuber, who's been really great this season so far. And also, I have to say, I've been a convert to the club of Scott Barlow because I got to say, was not a fan of Scott Barlow. Didn't seem particularly clutch to me. But early on, Matheny kept putting him in tough situations where he would inherit runners or start the inning and come to see the heart of the lineup. And multiple times he would put Barlow in these difficult situations. And more often than not, Barlow's really acquitted himself well, even to the point where in in the first couple of series, he would kind of start out and let a couple of guys on with walks and even a hit by pitch once. And uh, anyway, I'm a convert to the Church of Scott Barlow. Yeah, the, the entire bullpen's been looking pretty good, but I don't want to be jumping on the bandwagon just yet. I've seen a lot of people saying like, oh, we finally have a bullpen like 2015. It might not be as talented, but it might be even deeper. And I am not sold on this bullpen, like locking down a game after like the fifth or sixth inning the way I was with those past bullpens. Because uh, you got you to remember in 2014 and 15, our major bullpen rotation was like five closer level pitchers. We were pitching like Madsen, Hochaver, Davis, Herrera, Holland. That Those were the guys that would come out. I mean, they would legitimately all went on to be closers for other teams. Good, good recall of Madsen. I, I forgot about him. I'm I'm actually not so concerned about the close uh, about that end of the pitching rotation. I'm more concerned about our starters because I love Brady Singer and I love Bubich, but I don't think that they are like World Series one and two. They're like World Series team like pitchers three and four to me. So I think we still need those like aces. The thing is, they don't have to. Uh, they're supposed to be our four and five guys anyway. Our one, two, three is, is theoretically supposed to be Keller, Junis, Duffy. Yeah. And so I think in that regard, they filled out that role really well. And also, I want to give a shout out. Keller and Junis have looked great in their return from beating COVID. And that's that's really nice. And also, Duffy at his best. It's just like classic Danny Duffy, right? Duffy at his best is almost unbeatable. 
and Duffy at his worst is not so good. So far, we've seen better than worse. So, Kyle, I have a question for you then. If, if those people are our aces, what is our ceiling then for this year? I'd say maybe to take a page out of Reese's book, our strengths this year are going to be developing the younger guys, Singer and Bubich, to a point where all five of our starters have a chance to go out there and get us a win. I think nobody's going to argue that we have a true Major League World Series caliber ace on the team. But ideally, I want to see us in a world where all five of those guys can legitimately go up. I mean, Bubich had to start his Major League debut against Dallas Keuchel. That's, that's, that's a tough ask. But as we've already seen in the experience build over the past couple series, I think that by the mid-season we could have a pretty tough starting rotation. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that our ceiling right now is a wild card team, and we definitely have the talent to be a wild card team. Had you asked me this a week ago, before the Cubs series, I may have felt a little bit different, by which I mean a lot bit different. But I mean, I think we've seen it now in the back half of the Cubs series and through the Twins series is that the bullpen is good, the starting pitching is pretty good, and the bats just need to show up. Now, I know it's asking a lot, and the pitching won't be there every game, but it's kind of like, hey, If our starting rotation and bullpen can allow four to five runs a game, we have a chance to be in any of these games. And in a 60-game season, that could be enough to get a wild card spot, in my opinion. Let's talk about the bats a little bit. Uh, I think overshadowed in Mondesi's struggles has been Salvi's return to form. I mean, he's he's on an eight-game hitting streak. He's been probably the most consistent hitter on our team so far this season. And when you pair Salvi with two-hit wit, with Soler's five home runs so far, with Ryan McBroom proving me wrong, I was a total hater on him in the first couple of series and his offense has really come alive. Ryan O'Hearn is really playing well now. Michael Franco got hot for a few games in there. Alex Gordon has been really consistent, which is nice. I think the sort of um, doom and gloom about Mondesi possibly overshadowed these guys. And to be fair, these pieces were not coming together in a single game like they have been the last four games early on in the season. Oh, yeah. And going back to Matheny's managerial strategies here, it's like the lineup wasn't working. So he didn't just like sit there and be like, well, we just need to let it percolate a while and it'll eventually work. He's been tweaking like where players are hitting and just like, you know, who's cleaning up after who to the point now that at the beginning of the season, it was like, yo, six through, you know, the end of our lineup is going to be a complete, you know, automatic outs. Where now he's kind of like sprinkling some players in different places. You know, he's maybe moving some of the wealth towards the bottom of the order. And subsequently, we're finding a lot more continuity getting on base and more importantly, driving those runners home. Absolutely. And let's not forget that, Armando, to your point, Hunter Dozier had an RBI at his first at bat this season. It was awesome. Yeah, he did. Looked pretty good, didn't he? I really like our bats like recently right we have Solaire. he's ranked fifth in the mlb right now in home runs we have Solaire, Witt, and salvi that are in the top 50 in uh in their batting average mikhail franco is what did he what is he ranked 21st uh in the in the mlb for our uh for rbis but i have a question do so do we want to play out the season with these veterans like salvi with Gordo do we want all these guys to be in the rotation or do we want some young bats to come in like Khalil Lee like call him up try to get in because to me I don't think we're gonna make the playoffs but do we want a fighting chance there or do we want to I don't want to trade because I think we've shown enough so far that 
I would like to see if there's any continuity to this team going into a second, quote, you know, full season next year. Because this actually gives me hope. Like, the, the players we have, the young prospects we have, I'm like, this could be a winning team in a season or two, potentially. And especially this year, it's like, does anybody really really want the World Series this year to the point that they'll be like, yeah, we'll take Whit Merrifield off your hands and give you a free, you know, a fair trade for him. Armando, I love that question. Thank you for putting it to us. You're welcome, I think Kyle. at the end of the day, what's most exciting for us as fans is the fact that this is entertaining baseball to watch again. And more than that, we can see like the character and, and the love for the game that these guys have and the way that they play and the way that they interact with each other, the way they play together. And I think that's really exciting and also really important at a time when it's tough to be in that dugout with no fans in the stands, worried about health, all that. And so I think what's more important is probably what what Reese is saying, finding the continuity, finding who works well in this group of guys and then going forward. But also, I see your point in terms of trying to bring up the minor leaguers and give them some experience. Yeah, because because for me, do, do I love Salvi? Of course. Do I love Alex Gordon? Of course I do. And they're playing well. That's awesome. But because we we are looking towards the future, we are looking two, three years down the line. Is Salvi a part of that? Uh, that makeup? Probably not. Is Alex Gordon a part of that makeup? Probably not. I hope Witt is, and I hope Soler is, but just like Reese said, we could get some trade value before the deadline for them, but I hope that we we keep those guys. But it would be great to see someone like like a Khalil Leal, uh, sorry, Khalil Lee come in, or someone like Asa Lacey come in and, and, um, and pitch for us, just because we know that this team could be pretty good in two or three season, like you said, like, like we are finding this mesh and Matheny is doing well with these rotations and doing well, trying to find different combos to become a better team. And I think it just kind of fits his mantra. If we start putting in some more young guys and, and making it mesh. Well, the problem is though, is we don't have a lot of good young bats in our farm system right now. We have a bunch of like, fourth outfield kind of players like how many brett phillips slash bubba starling types do we have that it's like they're athletic their defense is very good if only they could consistently hit over like 205 exactly and also i need it to be a balancing act because we're a small market team right armando your your thought is great to find to constantly keep guys coming up and give them a chance i think that works best in a team that has a locked in core of guys who are going to be winning you games and you can afford to give a less experienced guy that opportunity our margin for error is so small when it comes to honestly pitching and batting that we have to kind of keep everything in the air which generally i think dayton moore's done a nice job of that and he'll give a guy a chance if he can help us win no i agree and i think it's it's really smart I think we also have to remember we do have more pitching prospects in the pipeline right now. Singer and Bubich are only like, you know, the top two on that that seem the most major league ready. We still have pitching prospects in the pipeline waiting. We still got Daniel Lynch. We still have Kowar. We got all those guys that are still waiting down there to come back up. So this is just the tip of the iceberg for potential pitchers. Yeah, and I think a lot of these issues will be mitigated with a minor league season that actually happens. I think we have a much better way of knowing whether guys are major league ready because they're getting lots of innings at AA and AAA. Question to pose to you guys, how much of a panic button do we need to hit that we committed double digit errors over just a few games? I mean, that was rough there for a four or five game stretch over the White Sox Cubs. 
I mean, that's not Royals baseball, and I don't mean that like, you know, it's not the Royals way, but if you remember back when we were really good in the early mid-2010s, that's because our defense was completely locked down, which is why I said again, if you wanted to beat us, you had to score your runs before the fifth inning because the bullpen was shutting you down and the defense wasn't going to make mistakes. Right now, well, early in the season, the defense was making a lot of mistakes, and that cost us two, you know, three, two losses against the Indians and the White Sox, respectively. I do feel like they've kind of shored up the defense a little bit, just like they've shored up the bullpen, just like they've shored up the bats, and so far I feel like Matheny's twisting the dials enough to get me to believe that this is a competitive enough to watch baseball team right now. Yeah, I think errors are not the biggest concern for me. I think it's consistency, and it's not Matheny's fault or the Royals' fault right now. I just think it's going to take a little bit more games to kind of find out what is the makeup of this team and what, um, because like for example, and we've we've talked about this via text. It's like we'll we'll lose to like crappy teams, like like we'll lose to to, to the White Sox, but then we're gonna crush the uh, Minnesota Twins, and that stuff is more concerning to me than stuff like errors or stuff like you know um, consistent pitching or hitting. It's it's why why are we doing this to ourselves all the time? Just give me give me one Royals, give me one identity. Well, that's why the Cincinnati Red series is hopefully gonna be so telling. Because I think we've all quietly slept on the fact that the Royals have not played a team with a losing record yet this year. Yeah, that's a great point because even the Tigers were outperforming in the in the early days of the series. And the White Sox were supposed to be great and they were just good. But the Cubs and the Twins are formidable. And the Indians too. Exactly. We haven't had a softball series just yet. And I'm not saying that the Red, you know, the Cincinnati Reds are just going to like roll over and let us beat them. But I think it's going to be very telling right now that if we can come out and at least win this series and not necessarily sweep it against the Reds, but win it, that'll show, like Armando said, consistency. We didn't just like get really hot against the Twins and suddenly, you know, lay an egg against the Reds. If we can win both of these series, then suddenly we have a team with some consistency. I'm still a little concerned by the injuries. We've got Stamon and O'Hearn on the day-to-day IL. Uh, Nick Heath, who had a fantastic debut. Again, another example of giving a young guy a shot and really delivering. Uh, he's on the 10-day injured list. Both Mike Montgomery and Francis Cordero are out for some extended time. Hopefully, they'll be back by the time that we're in the wild card if we're able to make it. Uh, so, I'd really love to maintain some consistency, even though guys are kind of banged up. That's fair. And that's why I think it's so important, too, that the bullpen is finally showing some consistency. Because the bullpen has played, I would say, well over the last two series. Wouldn't you agree? They haven't gotten lit up. No one's come in and allowed, you know, three or four runs to completely kill a lead. The only thing I was a little hesitant on was that Twins game that we won 9-6. to six. I was very proud of them for kind of locking it down once Duffy allowed those four. But then we went up 8-4. to four. And I was just watching while I was at work. They were slowly kind of ticking away at that lead. I look and it's, you know, suddenly 8-5. I look at the next inning, suddenly it's 8-6. And I'm like, guys, you know, so I'm a little worried about with this bullpen. Listen, man, that was such a hot, humid day. The ball was just flying off the bat. And lots of balls that would have been at the warning track flyouts were just home runs on both sides. And so the fact that we basically outcrushed them and it's, it's a first-place Minnesota Twins team that last year, if you recall, was well-known for their offense and not very well-known at all for their defense. Basically came back to haunt them against the Yankees. 
Um, all season, Minnesota was just lighting teams up on the scoreboard. Obviously, they played a weak AL Central, but they get to the playoffs and suddenly, you know, the bats maybe don't come alive a game or two and then you're just cooked. I think the fact that we were able to outslug them, again, a hot, humid day, a ball was really flying, lots of, ho- lots of home runs. I hear your concerns, but I think that that's an example of the Royals playing to what they need to do against another team if we'd been playing, like, I don't know, Oakland and maybe wouldn't have had to go that way. But the reason that we were playing the Twins, that's that's kind of why the game had to go that way. And that leads into our first advertisement. Just kidding. We don't have any ads. If you want to be our advertisers, let me know. Hit us, a, hit us a DM because we're all professional musicians and we can make those ads sound juicy. All right, guys, let's uh, let's bring it home by talking about some strengths and weaknesses through these first 17 games. I really like the promise of Singer and Bubich. I think we've gotten a lot of the best of Danny Duffy. We've seen some of his proclivity to pitch five great innings and, and a bad one, but we haven't seen very much of the Duffy that gets shelled in the first two or three innings. He's been pretty consistent, pretty icy. Uh, again, it's it's still early days with both Keller and Junis coming back from COVID recovery, but both of them have looked really strong. I think that the, the workouts at the T-Bones Park uh, the intra-squad workouts were really helpful in place of any kind of minor league rehab, and both those guys looked ready to come back, so that's really positive. Again, we already mentioned, I think a lot of the mid-relief guys like Barlow, even Kennedy when he's been pitching out of mid-relief, uh, have been great. Stamont, like Armando mentioned, I think Rosenthal has been a legitimate closer for us. I'm a little bit not sold on Jake Newberry Kevin McCarthy and Gabe Spire. I know that they're all sort of secondary options when it comes to middle relief, but I'm not totally sold on them. What do you guys think? I'm going to agree with you. I think the guys we've seen in constant bullpen rotation right now do seem to be the real deal and the answers right now. The guys you want to put in, so to say, to hold a lead or to keep yourself in the game. The three you just mentioned, I think, I hate to say it, are more of the dog meat pitchers. Let's say we're getting destroyed 6-1 and we're in the sixth inning, and you, you don't you just roll over, but it's kind of like, okay, if we pull a win out of this, it's kind of, you know, pulling a rabbit out of your hat. Um, I, I think the bullpen, I'm liking the order I'm kind of seeing with Holland being coming in for close games, but not necessarily being the closer. I think he still has a lot of stuff. I'm liking what Stallmont's showing. I think he's got the future of being a potential closer. I mean, he's throwing heat, and he's got nasty movement on his curveball. Even his fastball that he's throwing 102, I mean, he threw one against the Twins this last week that it, like, dove down at 102. That's insane. Uh, But like you said, Rosenthal's having a renaissance and looking like a potential closer. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from the bullpen in terms of the order, to be honest. Yeah, for strengths... um kind of to reiterate what you guys have said i think um singer and bubich are are great young players that we have obviously barlow's only 27 i know that's not young but it's also not old so i think barlow can be in our plans for the future like two three seasons down the road when i think this will be formulated or will have some sort of identity to us so i really like barlow just like you said kyle we'll see what happens to uh jacob junis once you know covid recovery and all that but he's still pitching pretty well like you said i mean he's played nine innings with a with a four ERA, that's not bad. Coming back from um, from sickness, obviously Stallman, Rosenthal, we like. And to go back to your point of the pitchers that you don't like, Newberry Spire and McCarthy. And McCarthy, McCarthy was the guy. 
Yeah, so Spire and Newberry have only pitched four innings, which I think is fine, right? We're just trying to see if they can make the rotation. McCarthy's played six innings, uh, which I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But I think that that bullpen already has a good core of like four guys that we truly like. I think it's okay for us to have these two or three bullpen guys like McCarthy, Newberry, Spire to just come in and see if they can fit. But I think we have a good core of the bullpen, even though, to your point, Reese, you know, we, we still need to see some more stuff there to see if this is a true identity of the bullpen but but we got four or five guys there we got singer and boobich and like i said i still want to see someone like an asa lacy or someone that reese had mentioned from the farm league see if we can get another guy in this year and maybe ian kennedy doesn't pitch as much or like a guy that we know that are not in the plans for the future you know if, if we know these guys aren't aren't in the plans if we you know, we think that the wild card is going to be solidified. I say we bring some of these guys and try to get a better identity. Let's talk a little about the position players. I really like the idea of giving Salvi some days off, especially at his age and especially because he's been playing so well, even with the history of injury. So I like that even with sickness and injuries, we've been able to give him some days at DH, some days at first base. So he's not just catching all the time. And I think, you know, bringing up Cam Gallagher, you know, he's he's acquitted himself well. Also, in terms of depth, it's great to have Hunter Dozier back in the lineup. One place I sort of see a bit of weakness is second base with Nicky Lopez. I'm not 100% sold on that. But again, his offense has come alive a little bit more lately. And I think he, he really plays hard and he fights at all of his at-bats, which is great. Well, that's what's going to be interesting, too, is like once we get Bobby Witt to come up, you know, he's an infield player. It's, you know, when he shows up, where is that going to kind of shift literally everybody else? And subsequently, Nicky Lopez might not be an everyday second baseman. He might be a rotational second baseman, right? Yeah, and, and, and even though I'm a huge fan of Ryan O'Hearn, I'm not sure he's necessarily the first baseman of the future. I do like him a lot, and maybe he will be. Yeah, there, there's some potential there. Yeah, so strengths for me, I think uh, Franco has been amazing. I think that uh, that was a great pickup for us. I wish Mondesi was better because I was dying on the hill of Mondesi last season. If you guys remember, I was texting guys back and forth and I was like, this dude's a real deal. He can hit and he's fast, but that hasn't been working out. Although to Kyle's point, he has been playing better. So I want to see more of Mondesi. Um, It would be great if we can get Bobby Witt and if we get Bobby Witt Jr., in in the rotation i would love that i would love to see him in there because like i don't want to see brett phillips honestly i'm not a big brett phillips fan honestly or really a ryan mcbroom fan um so i'd love to see someone like bobby witt jr or like khalil lee to come in and try to get some at bats that would be great for us um but i kind of like that our that our bats are formulating like i said in the beginning of the season they sucked but if they do well against the reds then i think that our our hitting's back i have two pieces that I really want to take us to the next level as a team. Are you guys ready? Yes. Number one. The the, the corona vaccine. <laughs> Number one, I want a, a truly major league level star center fielder to fill the spot of Lorenzo Cain. Because I love Soler at right and I like Gordon at left. But I want a true major league starter in center field. And to your guys' point, I I think we need one more infield player who is a legitimately great defender. I think that's still missing a little bit. Again, Michael Franco in his career, even with the Phillies before us, he's really streaky at the plate. But when he's hot, he's hot, which is great. 
But I think, and, and even O'Hearn has been really clutch with the hitting. McBroom's been playing better. Merrifield is consistent as always. But I think we need one more guy in there who's a really elite defender. I think Bobby Witt Jr. might be that guy. But I think those two spots in terms of our position players is what we need to really take the next step. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tagging along on our first Royals episode. Like we said earlier, we'll be trying to do these every three or four series. Uh, again, uh, we kind of hopped in at a high point on a four-game winning streak. If we'd recorded this a few series earlier, it maybe wouldn't have been so positive. But such is the nature of being a small market Royals fan. And, uh, of course, we have some recency bias, too. But we'll try to talk through everything and um, see where we're at in a few series. As always, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get. Where else did Podbean? Right. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Okay. I got you. I got you. Follow us on Instagram at Fountain City SM. That's right, Fountain City SM. And please go ahead and drop us an Instagram message or whatever or whatever the kids call it, a DM, and just let us know what you think of the podcast. And don't forget, Salvi's batting 319. Let's go. Woo! Is he really batting 319? Yes, sir.